Hebrews chapter 6, and this morning we're looking at verse 3. Because of sickness and many things going on, you may, <coughs> may have not been able to y'all still hear that? Uh, to be with us the last couple weeks, and if you have not, the good news is I always try to recap what we went over. And this morning it is uh, very necessary that we continue to do that because if we do not remind ourselves of the context of a passage, we can often be. Uh, led away and led astray and often to myths or what have you uh, and often that is the case and I, I, our prayer today is that as we read the word that we uh, do well to read it in context and that we are reminded that the context of the scripture is not always what the title in your bible says man has added verses and paragraphs and little titles and subheadings and uh, it's a very easy thing to be led astray by that as well and I, I would remind you that uh, Jesus told us what the purpose and the context of his message was and that was that in reading these scriptures that we may hear what they have to say as they testify of him and uh, that is indeed the case this morning. Let me start by reading Hebrews chapter 6, the first three verses. It says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Most High Heavenly Father, God, we come uh, into your presence this day, Lord, recognizing that we are never beyond your sight, Lord, that nothing that we do is a mystery unto you, God, because you are all-powerful, Lord, you are all-knowing, and Lord, you know everything that we will do and everything that we have done and Lord, because there is no mystery unto you, God, we come this morning recognizing that you are who you say that you are, that you are the Father who has willed that the Son come, and in his obedience he has done just that, Lord, giving himself upon the cross, that shedding his own blood upon that cross of Calvary, that he has been and become a ransom for many, Lord, that his blood has covered indeed a multitude of sins god and we uh, come believing those very truths this morning lord asking that you would reveal to us uh, through your words the truth about the jesus of this bible or the jesus who is the christ nothing less than the christ nothing less than messiah lord that we may come into his presence and come into your presence O god and exalt his name that you would be glorified and that on this day you would receive our worship, Lord, that you would provide for us in the truth of your gospel, forgiveness, Lord, and understanding, of course, repentance, 
Lord, that you would provide for us uh, repentance for many things, including reviving uh, those dead works, Lord, and consecrating them unto your kingdom and to your son. Lord, we ask that that be the reality of our lives and of our study today and every day, God, that we would become more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we just ask that you would multiply us this morning, uh, your great grace and your mercy, Lord, that we, even being here and seeing our fellow church members recognize today the truths of even those things that are temporal that you have blessed, Lord. Uh, may we exalt you, Lord. May we reverence you with fear, Lord, and with knowledge of who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we look at the text again this morning. Uh, we're coming into chapter 6 over the past few weeks, and we are recognizing that we have moved from chapter 5, which was talking about Christ or Jesus' qualification as the Christ, as high priest, and then uh, quickly the text moves into spiritual immaturity, and there is no real difference as we end chapter 5 when we begin chapter 6, because that seems to be the focus uh, of the scripture, that we understand spiritual immaturity, and that understanding spiritual immaturity, that we begin to grasp spiritual maturity now last week when we uh, looked at verse 2 of course it's concluding verse 1 that says therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ let us press on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment these things are a a, a list if you will uh, a short list, but a tough list uh, of things that are relevant and are true, things that the gospel uh, enlightens, things that they bring light to, that, that the message of Christ is shedding light on the truth about all of these things, about maturity, about laying foundation, uh, uh, being founded in a Jesus who is both biblical and who is Christ. Uh, not to say that those things are separate, but the reality that the biblical Jesus uh, is the only true Jesus and that he must be doing all the works that is described here. It talks about then uh, a level, if you will, of man's responsibility and the things that will happen in a man's life when he comes to know Christ. And the truth of that being that we respond to the gospel with a repentant faith, that we're not just saying that there is repentance and faith, if you will, but the two are coupled together because there is no saving faith apart from repentance towards God. The reality is that one may express a faith that is not unto salvation, and likewise we will see that that, uh, that expression of faith is typically one without any repentance. We, we understand from biblical account that people can believe without being saved that they believe and they can be fearful of man more so than god it says in in john as we consider the jews that people would believe but they were scared to confess we know that the the demons the the ones who serve satan they believe they know who jesus is we see the the comments toward him as he is in his earthly ministry have you come to torment us before the time what does that mean it means they knew that this was the christ 
They knew that this was the Son of God, and yet there is a danger in knowing those things and not following him after knowing, not submitting to him. Like I said, we don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. We don't make Jesus in control. He is in control. We have no bearing upon who Jesus is except that he is the Savior and we are the redeemed of the Lord. And the passage this morning really deals with that. It deals with the foundational truths of the gospel as we move on from man's responsibility to see how God is fulfilling those things, not how simply we have fallen short, and that is the truth, or how we can fall short in not progressing and not moving on to spiritual maturity, but that we see how Christ is faithful to lead us to that and how that should be our desire. And when we looked last week, I think the, the second portion of that particular verse really rings uh, true to me. And, and to me, it seems to be the most important part of that is it deals with baptism and deals with washing and all of these things that we put so much and place so much emphasis upon. And we think that, oh, you must be baptized. And the truth is that we're commanded to be and we must. We're also commanded to be honest at all times. We're also commanded to be faithful at all times. We're also commanded to pray at all times. We're commanded to do a many number of things in which we fail to do. But for some reason, professing Christians like to place a, a lot of emphasis upon man's responsibility and the command that man is given. And we pick and choose certain ones to, uh, in some way or another, gauge how devoted or how Christian we are. Some churches would even say that if you were not baptized, you won't go to heaven. Picking and choosing certain things that uh, will tell, if you will, uh, if one is saved or not, and the reality is those things are not necessarily so. I would say that there are conditions, and maybe you've never heard of it, in which certain people cannot be baptized by immersion. Uh, you can think of a situation where maybe someone is is in, unable to move and maybe too large for someone else. There are people that are allergic to water, if you have never seen that before. There are conditions in which uh, these physical requirements can't be met, but that we know that they are fulfilled in Christ. Not that we would ignore them, but the reality is that the, the penman here is describing what the Spirit is laying upon his heart, saying, listen, you can do all these things and not be saved. You can do all these things and not be Christian. You can do all of these things and still fall short. And the truth is that you can do all things and still not be Christ. Here was a, a manner of washing, if you will, that they would cleanse their hands and they would have separate pots for this and that or they would wash this or consecrate this so they thought in one sense it didn't make a hill of beans if Christ is not in it truth being that even good works are like filthy rags and as we look at those instructions and the laying on of hands and how we understand that the Lord says that he is uh going to be in a place and that he is in a place that is a temple that is not built by man's hands and he's showing us the truth that these hands are causing decay upon everything that they touch 
that they cannot preserve anything, much less life, nor can any other human efforts. The truth is that Christ resides in a temple that is set apart and consecrated by God, that is cleansed by himself, that is made holy because of his presence and no preparation that man himself has made. And we looked at those things and we saw last week that there was uh, an acknowledgement to be made that man as followers of Christ should be transitioning from milk, those foundational things that are described there, understanding resurrection and eternal judgment, believing in those things that we might move from the milk to the meat. We understand that these are core building blocks and they are the foundation and they are that which we must begin with, but the truth being, as with everything, we don't begin by what we can do, but what Christ has done and what he has revealed to us. In fact, there can be no faith there can be no repentance unless the Spirit has come and made man anew. You might have heard it before about a preacher sending his students, his disciples, into a cemetery, telling them, I want you to go to a grave and preach the best gospel sermon that you can preach. When they're done, they come back, and the teacher asks, Now, how many of you preached a sermon and the body came up out of the grave into life? The answer, of course, was none. That is how able we are to preach an effectual gospel without the Spirit. That is the truth about just how well man without Christ, without being spirit-filled and spirit-led, may lay an effectual foundation. And the truth is that we cannot. We are not the builders of a strong house. We are merely the recipients of a mansion in glory that Jesus Christ has built upon his own blood. A kingdom and a people that only exists because of what he has done with but his obedience and the breath of his word. This is the truth about knowing the Christ. It's simplistic, yet, I said last week, it's concise. The penman has relayed the most supreme necessity, the root being that the spiritual man is part of a vine who is rooted in Christ. The root being in Christ. If you don't get the root right, you won't get the fruit right. That's just the reality. You can try as you may, but our efforts apart from Christ will be failing. And then we see that there are many ways to understand baptism, as it may say in your translation, and washing, you know resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment but there really is but one way to understand these things and that is in the light of the savior the judge the resurrector the only one to baptize 
as we read the text, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that is that of Jesus Christ. So we move, as we're looking at the peril, the danger of not progressing, and I, we, we move to verse 3 that it says, and this we will do if God permits. And this we will do if God permits. Some pastors may harp a long time how dangerous it is for you not to progress as if you may do something to progress. And that is not my intention this morning because I can tell you all day long and it can be preached to you morning, noon, and night. And the reality is that if you do not belong to Christ, you will not progress. If you are not feasting upon the biblical Jesus, you will not have a feast that is full of meat. In fact, you will have no feast at all. There will be nothing but spiritual famine. And so what I would like us to do this morning is not to disconnect from the reality of the text that reveals that there is a danger in not progressing, but for us to focus on the fact that only Christ can move us that only God may do that. And the key is revealed in verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. Now, I've said it many times, if you're not here for Sunday school, you miss a lot of things. I want you to understand that we're talking about the permission, the will of God this morning as we look at the text. Brother Pat, would you read the last line of your Sunday school this morning? I want everybody to hear this. This was the very last sentence that Pat spake this morning. This is the will of God, to gather many more sons for himself. And that is altogether the foundation. This is the, the work of the Lord this morning as we meet that Pat and I don't talk about what he's teaching on Sunday school. That's his responsibility. And the Lord is preparing those who are here in the morning. And this is not a, a reprimand. This is just an encouragement that you can come and you can get the first course of the meal. That God is preparing and enlightening and, and, and causing us to discern the truth about Christ in preparation for this 11 o'clock service. That we would see the will of God right before our eyes. And this morning, that is the truth. It says first, if we read this again, and this. course this is in reference to the first part of verse one and this and this is referring to the therefore leaving elementary teaching about the christ he's saying and this is what we'll do we will leave these elementary teachings about the christ the teachings about the christ who is not simply a figment of an imagination or not simply your Christ or my Christ or the Christ of our devising, but this is the Christ who is the Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin. Yes, the Jesus who was resurrected, the Jesus that went to the cross, the Jesus who was perfect. There's none other like him. To include those fundamental necessities that are considered foundational, we are leaving them behind. We are moving on. You know what the, the wonderful part about moving is? 
is that hopefully when you're moving, you're moving to something better, something bigger, something grander, something uh, more valuable. Not many people get excited about moving from a large house to a trailer, or from a trailer to a camper, or from a camper to a tent. The reality about moving and that that there's a celebration in this move as the penman is describing these wonderful things about understanding and knowing intimately the Christ is that we are moving to something that is more special, has a deeper meaning to us beyond these foundational things. This, this is... Uh, not to say that those things aren't important because these are the very things that our faith is built upon. They must be laid, and like any foundation, they must be uh, planted there, settled, given time to cure. I believe that is the milk phase, the infant stage of Christianity. And when the foundation is cured, when we may move, as it says, and leave these things, the foundation has hardened and is ready. It's immovable, acceptable for building upon. These are the things that are listed in those first two verses. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Instruction about washing, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are the things listed there. The danger is that we may stagnate while only familiar with the rudimentary oracles of God. We may be happy and unmoving and settled in these beginning stages and teachings about Christ. That is the danger. You know... Nobody understands the danger of standing still more than an older man or woman. The longer you stay, the stiffer you become, right? That is a re if, if you don't believe it, just look at the congregation. Ask a few people. I hear about all Brother Pat when he got up earlier. You remember what he said, James? Ugh. That's a spiritual truth, that the longer that we stay still, and not pressing on, we become stiff, and stiffness is never regarded as something high and something desired in biblical perspective. It's never something that anybody says, man, I'd love to be stiff or stiff-necked or anything like that. The danger is that we will stagnate with these rudimentary oracles of God and never move on, and that would be a failure on behalf of the disciple of Christ, if we were to do that. That is the warning from the Scripture this morning. In fact, the truth may be that uh, this person may not be a disciple at all. Such is common with many, quote-unquote, Christian professors. that They profess to believe, and this is what is being addressed here in the passage, they profess to believe, they profess to repent, from their dead works and their faith that did not exist toward God. Or, and then they profess that they believe in the washing and the baptism. They believe in the cleansing, believe in the remission of sins. They believe in the power of God, whether it be in the laying on of hands or any other way. 
God may move or work. They believe in the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and then that's it. three-year-old can believe those things matter of fact i would submit to you that it's very easy for a child to believe those things if they simply but trust their parents you believe what your dad says if your dad says he can fly you believe him people the same way adults they may profess to believe but really have no understanding and this is part of the danger of not progressing, of not moving from these fundamental elementary principles of Christ. This happens in churches. You may all uh, easily remember any number of people from your time in churches that came and professed and maybe were even baptized never to return again. And matter of fact, the next time you see them, they may appear to be worse off than they ever were before a spiritual reality as we consider the text this morning we know that this is written its original transmission and given to a people who are all too familiar with the rituals and the washing and these foundational principles that they believed of God but did not understand in the light of Christ they did not see the fulfillment of these things. They didn't understand that Christ was the reason they may repent or that Christ is what makes works good or that Christ was able to, to grant faith and Christ was able to cleanse and Christ is able to heal and Christ is able to resurrect. They believed in those things, but they didn't understand them in the light of the Messiah. In fact, we see that with the response toward the Christ as he is on earth in his earthly ministry. They believed these things, but they didn't understand them. In fact, even some of those who were closest to Christ wanted it to be far from him to go to the cross. Where would our resurrection be then? How must we understand these? Well, we have to first grasp the original audience. These were people who were familiar with with these rituals these rites these customs if you will and they were familiar with the ceremonies in regards to the law of god they knew what their bodies must do but what they didn't understand is exactly what the text is saying today is that god must do them god must will them in fact if you were to keep them without god you have kept them not at all We're reminded so quickly that for those who need again and again these foundational principles and have to return again to the law, that there remains no sacrifice. Where there is no sacrifice, there's no forgiveness. Where there is no forgiveness, there is no heaven. But there is indeed this eternal judgment. There is a place called hell begin to understand that the laws and the ceremonies have never saved but these are more to be seen as principles that as the schoolmaster walk the christian to 
see the complete fulfillment of these things and in Christ and his finished work on Calvary's cross. What does the law do? Does it make you whole? Does it make you perfect? Does it make you cleansed? Does baptism or the, the hands of an elder or anything else do any wonder for you? Do they perform any miracle? Do they uh, work to any spiritual avail? Absolutely not apart from Christ. In fact, as I said last week, the only reason that you can rely on your lungs to work is because God has ordered the air to work as it should, the oxygen to enter the bloodstream, the muscles to expand and contract. They don't just work because you want them to. They work because God has ordained them. Such shall we see the fulfillment of all of these principles and ceremonies and rituals in regards to the law that they are fulfilled only in Christ. In fact, where we do not see the cross, we do not see the Christ. And when we do not see Jesus the Christ, we do not see eternal life. This is the point in which we are called by the text when it says, and this we will do. This is where we are called as ministers to see that the blood of the Lamb is now effectually applied. Not to hear about it in theory, not to read about it as if it was uh, a book that was up for debate, but to see and hear that it is true and to live in those principles and in those truths. Text is not saying, okay now, you haven't been doing so well, you got to do better to be saved. The text is saying you need to open your spiritual eyes and see more Christ. When it does that, you may now see that the blood was shed and you may now see how its application will change the spiritual man. A minister such as the penman who has written down this word of God in the Hebrews epistle is not called to be a babysitter of the corporate gathering. That is not the place of this man, and that is not his intention. And nor should it be, as the text is drawing us to see, is, is that the place of the pastor or the elder in the church to be a spiritual babysitter. Instead, he is called to be a teacher. Now, do you want to understand the difference? Listen, here, here's the truth. If, even if you don't immediately see it, we know this reality, that kids aren't uh, placed in the care of a babysitter from now until they're 18. In fact, parents understand that they must, if need be, if the parents are both working, that they have a babysitter until the appropriate time in which they can be taught and moved from one stage to the next. That is the truth in the church. That is the truth about understanding who Christ is and digging deep into the Word of God that we may not be spiritually babysat, but that we may be taught instead by a teacher. And this goes beyond the, the role of pastor or elder, and this goes beyond the role of Sunday school teacher. It's talking about being taught by God Himself, by the Spirit of God as He is revealing the truths of Christ in the scripture, babysitters don't move up with age. 
they typically watch kids from this age range to this age range. They don't graduate and become teachers. They are for stagnant age groups. This is not what the Christian should be about. In fact, we instead are being called to listen to teachers, to adhere to the Word, to the Christ, to God who is truly teaching, so that it will serve this Word and this Christ who is the Word who has become flesh as a stimuli unto growth. In fact, the text is really teaching us that the truths and the mysteries of Christ that you have yet to understand, they're not there to remain mysteries. They are there so that they will stimulate growth. That in desiring these things, you may grow closer to the cross and to your Savior. This is a factor, if you will, and an influence that inhibits and promotes such things. These principles are called uh, because of their uh, purpose that they are serving a foundation because they are in fact the knowledge that become the entrance into eternal life as they are knowledge of the persons of God. This is what the Bible is. This is knowledge of the persons of God. It is uh, the purpose, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 5, that Christ is serving as the high priest, is representing God to man. He is revealing what God is like, what God expects, what God has done, what God is doing. And if that is the case, these principles are placed there so that we may understand God more and more. And if that is the case, then truly they serve these foundational principles that we see in verses 1 and 2 as the entrance, the entrance into eternal life. Now, I say it that way because an entrance is not a place that we go to and just stand, right? You don't see people at Six Flags getting excited about standing at the entrance. What do they want? They want the journey, right? Same as with any other place, any other entrance. And if it stands that this be true of our entrance into relationship with the Savior, if it be true that this is a wedding where we, the church, are the bride of Christ, we must not remain just beyond the threshold, right? There's nothing wonderful really about that, just barely being over the threshold barely into the entrance but the desire is that the groom would carry us and lead us in further lead us into the wonders of the kingdom that is what god is doing with his word that is what he's calling the christian to be as he says you know what you still have need of milk you should be desiring the meat of the word you should want to be carried by the bridegroom, not just simply through the entrance, but into the kingdom. We must not simply remain 
We must be eager to see the mansions of glory that are more than mere buildings, more than mere structures, but are instead these intimate intricacies of who Christ is and what he has done for those who are his. To be marveled and satisfied and always hungry to see more. It is the business of the Christian to do just this. Leave the elementary teachings and this we will do, it says. That is our business. That is what we have been called to do. That is what we have been instructed and ordered to do as slaves to righteousness. And in the execution, we will see the sovereignty. I'll say it again. In the execution, we will see the sovereignty of God should his permission and will allow us to advance beyond the kindergarten phase of our belief in him. Who is this him? The text said it just a few verses ago, just a few weeks ago. Him and of whom we have much to say. Christian, if you are here today, and if you hear the words of the Lord, if you hear the shepherd's voice, you are here because you have not heard all that he has to say. We should so desire to hear more. The simpler truth of this matter is that true Christians must and will desire meat. We want to know what we do not already know. Growth is, uh, in essence, the desire to know the things that we do not understand. Yet, spiritually speaking, it is true while we rely on God to reveal Himself through Christ, as we are simply obedient to His Word and in his word that's what we want anybody who calls themselves a christian is saying i'm a disciple anybody who is calling themselves a disciple is saying that i am being taught and i have a teacher and anybody who has a teacher has one because he wants to know what he does not know what does this mean it means that we desire to move to perfection because that's all that Christ teaches, perfection. That we would discern the will of God and that we would serve God perfectly. He doesn't move people in any direction other than perfection, those who are his. That is what the word is doing, and we must rely upon him and not human efforts this is why i said this is the emphasis of the second half of this verse this very short verse and this we will do if god we're relying upon the will of god the appeal this morning must be to you those who call himself church is that you be obedient in his word and through his word and in dedication to all that he has given so that we may say let us go unto perfection just as a side note, let us is not to be understood as a reliance on self or human effort. But as we will soon see, it is a reliance upon the sovereign will of God. It says, and this we will do if God permits. 
The word if here denotes a plausible possibility. Something that is questionable that you do not know the answer to. If it will or if it won't. If. Question kids everywhere hate. Sometimes even the children of God. We want to know so bad certain things that are, for lack of a better term, above our pay grade. The word here, if, denotes this possible, plausible possibility. It's to be seen as a conditional circumstance. And guess what? It doesn't rely upon you or your effort, or your baptism, or the laying on of hands, or your understanding of the washing, or any other thing. It doesn't rely on those things, nor does it rely on good works. It's a conditional circumstance that relies on input from beyond the secular and into the heavenly places. That is to say, it it, it relies upon input from the voice, the very breath of God, if it's to be done. This is the if. You should never be more excited about an if than you are today to know that you are not in control. If God permits, everything relies upon these few short words. If God permits, anything spiritual or secular, spiritual or temporal, excuse me, if God permits, these are in fact conditions beyond the control of fallen man. Indeed, the reliance is upon Christ and his execution of the Father's will. If the Father's will. This is why we have such a command as in Matthew chapter 6. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore... Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the thing of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You have no control. This is why I think many mature Christians greatly dislike those license plates that says, God is my co-pilot. That can't be the reality of the Christian. In fact, I know a guy that had one of those and someone whom he admired very much brought it to his attention that God cannot be the co-pilot nor is he willing to be. He must be in control. He must be in the first seat. And this man, he took his license plate off his car. He went and bought some red tape and he cut it out in the shape of a heart and put it over the co. God is my pilot. This is how we should view the permission of God. Our reliance should be upon Christ and his execution of God's will, and thus should we desire it also. A wonderful conclusion is also to be drawn as well from such a statement. That is that the Christian should always be in everything not acting upon his own desires or his own will, but in all things seeking the will and the permission of the Lord. The will and the permission of the Lord. This comes down to timing. It may be the will of the Lord for you to do something, 
but you may not yet have his permission because it is not according to his time. When the will of the Lord meets the permission of the Lord, we now have the timing of the Lord. A timing that we do not know until it is time. The very thing that Christ expressed many times in his earthly ministry, my time has not yet come. The will of the Lord was yes for Christ to go. But did he rush headlong into death as John used to say? Absolutely not. For it was not the proper time when the will of the Lord was to meet the permission of the Lord. Then these things shall be done. The accompanying truth is that we may not move forward and we may not move on to maturity and we may not progress without these things falling into place as God has willed. From the small things to the large things, from the menial things, the trivial things, to the intricate, more important things, an avenue of discernment is what this is about. Seeking God because he may be found. Those who believe and trust in him truly will find him and he will answer this is what christian is to do if god permits how do we know well how do we know if god in this particular sense in this particular context will permit us to progress i think we could spend a lot of time in understanding uh how this may be that we would know. But I think there's sort of a litmus test to it. How do we know if the Lord will allow us to progress as Christians? Well, the answer is that if we are true Christians and the Lord has not called us home, we are being ordered to progress. And He is doing that very thing. He is sanctifying us, moving us closer to perfection. If we are allowed to live another day anew, it is not to remain stagnant, but it is to move on and to press on towards the next level of glory to the, an intimate understanding, a, a more loving relationship with Christ, a more Christ-likeness. The only purpose is that God in these things would be more intensely and more intently glorified. What is the purpose of moving, progressing from spiritual milk to me? It is only one thing, and that was it, that he would be more intensely and more intently glorified. Heard many people talk about marriage as they are uh, entering into hard times and they're considering separation and divorce, and I've even had uh, self-proclaimed pastors tell me that God just wouldn't want me, I believe, to be this unhappy and the truth is this that god's concern is not for your happiness he's not jealous over happiness he deserves glory and honor and reverence and exaltation and worship those are the things that he is concerned for jesus didn't die that man could be happy you know why because man is very happy in sin Man loves sin. Jesus died that God would be revealed and that he would be worshipped. 
and that he would be magnified. That may only happen one way, and that that is if the Christian progresses to know him more. Now we begin to quickly see the peril and the danger, if you will, of unbelief and the danger of falling away or becoming stagnant. It touches, yes, upon man's responsibilities, but that they are founded, more importantly, upon the will of God. They are resting in His control. You have neither the ability nor the desire to do anything for Him apart from His Spirit living and residing and controlling the interest of your heart. The truth is that His will always outweighs and supersedes our abilities and our efforts. In reality, His will must be the forerunner. It must be the beginning of any and every Christian effort. It must be the causal input by which we mature and press on or by which we are able to leave the elementary doctrines in order to enter a more intimate relationship with His Son. This is not up for debate. This is guaranteed. This is the way that it must be. If God permit. If God permit. For even in the case of good resolutions, a man once said, we cannot carry them into effect save through God working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. We must consider the text before us today and not carry away from it the failures of humanity for I believe just in as much as these elementary principles are presented to us about dead works and repentance and faith toward God. I believe that the failure of man and that the truth of sin for the Christian should be as well a fundamental principle by which we came to believe in Christ. Not to say that we dismiss sin or that we look at it uh, without the proper perspective and, and make less of it than what it is. Sin is causing death. And that is the truth. But we should really look at sin and move on from it and press on towards Christ knowing that we can do nothing unless God permits. Our prayer shouldn't be that simply we become better but that Christ become greater in us. You see, there's the failure of many pastors, many Christians to understand the text. We want to become better, but somehow there's always a prescription to do that that is apart from the cross. The message this morning, if we look at verse 3, says, you need to be better and you need to move to perfection and you need to be made whole, but you cannot do it. 
It says, this we will do if God, simply if God permits. Question today, as we look at this particular passage, uh, does not simply rely upon our understanding of the principles of the foundation or it doesn't deal necessarily uh, with somehow stimulating our own desire to be more like Christ. The question deals with how we view God. Do we see God as sovereign? And if we are to respond to that, with an answer of, yes, we do, then the truth is, do we respond with, of course, repentance and faith, but most certainly, do we respond with trust? Do we respond to the sovereignty of God with new desires? Do we respond to the sovereignty of God with trust in Christ, uh, to the extent in which we place everything in his care. We sing a hymn, and it says, All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You see, the message this morning is not about how Christians can help themselves out or how Christians can get the right answers on the test to become more mature, how Christians can read more and can uh, describe for you more doctrine and more theology. The test is really this. Do you trust and completely trust in Christ? That is the fundamental basis, and that is the basis for everything upon which understanding God and Christ and coming into relationship with them and staying there and building them up, that's what it rests on. It rests on trusting in Christ. You know, the difference between an infant Christian and a mature Christian is that uh, an infant Christian trusts Christ with little and a mature Christian trusts Christ with much. In fact, we see that again. I, I often reference it with the parable of the talents. That the baby servant trusts that he's coming back and we need to hide these, these things and we'll just dig them up when he comes back. He'll have the same thing he gave us. And the more mature invests and reaps back a little, but the most mature places it all in his trust. And as we said last week, Wednesday night, there again, not a not a reprimand, but an encouragement if you weren't here. The one who sows abundantly is reaping abundantly. The one who is sowing sparingly is reaping sparingly. The truth be that the mature Christian is sowing so abundantly, trusting completely in Christ that he has no other choice and that God will do nothing other than move him to more Christ-likeness. Read many passages, and if you're taking notes for the sake of time, I'll just uh, read the the citations for you to go back and see how these things connect. That this we will do if God permits, because the Bible says it's impossible for those who are once enlightened 
those who once knew of Christ, you should, if you now know of Christ, you shall much more now desire to know him than you ever have. Ephesians 4, 21. Again, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Have the bondage of sin, yet we see the tasting of the heavenly gift of God that is Christ. Of course, that includes eternal security and salvation in heaven. But it includes, most importantly, the presence of the Almighty Christ. Romans 5, 17, Isaiah 9, 6. Trusting God in all of these things. And we shall come to know that it doesn't rely upon ourselves, and it can't rely upon ourselves. That is how a baby comes to understand. Yes, in some ways he becomes more independent, but he also knows who to go to when he needs to. It's discernment. Simply discernment. That we may trust and invest everything, not just the tithe, not just the top tenth of the heap. That is why we don't uh, subscribe uh, simply to tithing as what we give to God or what we give to the church. It's an offering of love and gratitude and trust that whatever we need, he'll provide. And the truth being that we can never outgive God. And in fact, if God never gave you anything else and you go to heaven, God has outgiven you. The text this morning is saying he's willing to give and he is able to give. And should he tarry, he will give so much more to the one who is truly saved by his grace. That he will not remain stagnant, but he will press on to perfection. This is the grace of God. This is the sovereignty of God revealed unto man. A peril of the flesh. But a promise of the Spirit. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we come to you once again, Lord, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We commend all that we have, Lord, both uh, spiritual and temporal into your hand, Lord, to ask that you would do as you will with it, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us by your word and by your spirit, God, that we would be sensitive uh, to hear the voice of our shepherd, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, bless this time of fellowship, God, that you would uh, count this day uh, as a a worship towards you, Lord, that you would see it and then you would accept it. It would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we ask that you would uh, allow us to continue this fellowship with the meal, Lord, that you would bless us there. And, Lord, that your hand be there and your spirit guiding us as we uh, consider uh, the amendment to the bylaws of this church, Lord, that we may only do uh, what is necessary to protect it, Lord, that is according to your will, Lord, that we would not have anything out of selfish desire but only that which is good and wholesome and righteous according to your sights in jesus name that we pray amen